it's a little, it's, well, it's a little gummy or something. So probably, yeah, wow, that's that's gross. Well, anyhow, how's everybody? I'm better now that I don't have a lump in my in my shoe. Uh, all right. We had just read for us a second ago in 2 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. We had this statement that was that was read about what does an unbeliever have with a believer, or vice versa, right? And what does Christ have with Belial? And don't be unequally yoked to unbelievers. And that is probably a passage that you have heard many times, right? And there are many lessons that have been taught from that, and I guarantee that there will be several lessons that will be taught from that this year. Because as you noticed at the beginning of chapter 7, right, you are to do all of these things perfecting holiness or completing holiness. So what he's just said previously there in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is what is bringing us to being completely holy. And what we are going to do tonight is we're going to focus on this phrase from chapter 6 and verse 17, the phrase that is most commonly known out of all of these maybe, is come out from among them and be separate. And that is the call that was made to those Christians there in Corinth. But what I want us to do this evening is I want us to go back and I want us to see where this statement comes from. Because as you notice this morning, a lot of our idea of holiness, it is founded in the Old Testament. And we're going to spend, at least I'm going to spend a good bit of time going back to those foundational things. Because without the understanding of that, we just know phrases. And Michael and I talked about this as we were discussing holiness. We can't just get up there and say, be holy. Because everyone already knows the statement, be holy, right? And like... You didn't say anything different. You didn't tell anybody anything. You didn't explain or teach anything. You just said words that they already know in the English language, but maybe don't understand. This would be, I think, one of those statements. Where come out from among them and be separate would be words that we understand, but like we don't know where they come from. And so tonight I want to go and I want us to see where... This particular phrase comes from. So that's going to put you back in your Old Testament. That's going to put you in the book of Isaiah. And we're going to begin in Isaiah, the 50th chapter. And I'm going to give you just a brief little synopsis. The movie, the chapter that we know the most in the book of Isaiah is Isaiah 53, right? And so in Isaiah 53, we have that suffering lamb. But that servant, we would see him introduced at the end of chapter 52. Well, that would be what they would call the fourth song about the servant, or the fourth servant song. And you would recognize some of the others. In chapter 42 of Isaiah, My servant, I will pour out my spirit on him. And he'll be a light and a bruised reed he will not quench. And all of those various things... To which we know, obviously, apply to Jesus. And then you would have, that would be the first one in chapter 42. Then in chapter 49, you would have the second song of the servant, where he would be not only alive, and this would be quoted in the New Testament, not only would he be sent to the house of Israel, but he would be a light to the Gentiles. 
he would go to them. And so that's what the second song is about. And then the third song, the one that which we will focus on this evening, that relates to Jesus, begins in chapter 50 and verse 4. And what I want us to see to begin with is I want us to see what this song is telling us about our Lord Jesus. Alright? So let's begin in verse 4. Where... That's a, rough, that's a rough start, man. Uh, anyhow, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. And he awakens me morning by morning. And he awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. And the Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient. The first thing that we need to see about Jesus as the servant is that he too was going to be a disciple of the Lord. And what's a disciple? It is a learner who follows. They follow some teacher and they learn from them and they emulate them. And the servant is going to be that that Jesus learned from. The Father. Oh, absolutely He did. Almost everything He got was from the Father. He was this learner, this disciple. But I want you to see what He was going to learn to be able to do. Notice this in verse 4. He's given me the tongue of disciples. And it's like He's going to also teach disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with my word. And the truth is, not only would he teach other disciples, but he would be able to give them strength and comfort with his teaching. And that is vital to remaining holy. Is to know that there is a good reason to be holy. That there is some comfort in going through these processes we might say. These cleansings. There is a reason for it. And Jesus was going to learn so that He would be able to say, it's okay. You can do this. Here's the strength in which you need. But notice the other thing that He was going to do as a disciple. Verse 5. He said, I would not be disobedient. Jesus had a choice. Like, sometimes I think we forget that, right? Like, he couldn't sin because of what his mission was. To be that perfect lamb without spot or blemish. But yet, he was still a human in all ways as we. And he was still tempted exactly like we. But like that good student, he followed his teacher's path. He would not deviate from it. He was obedient to it. To the point where in the next few verses you think, man, why obey Him? I'll pick back on verse 6. I gave my back, the servant says, to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. And I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. That right there 
is when we really understand this is about Jesus, isn't it? Like we could have thought it was about anybody, but notice what he didn't do. I want to turn back. And don't we think about Jesus in the garden in that way? Where he's going through all those really difficult decisions about what is coming up in the next several hours. And many of us, including myself maybe, I shouldn't say many, some of us, including myself, would probably turn back at that point. Because one of the things that he says here, right, I gave him my cheeks to pluck out the beard. I got my beard going here, right? I use an electric razor every now and again to trim it up or to shave it off. If a hair gets pulled because it's a little dull, I can almost go into tears. And if you've ever had someone come by and they pluck the hair that you didn't know was coming and they rip that thing off or they've got a tweezer, they come in and get it in the eyebrow, how many of us are signing up for that? No, not really, except for some of us we do pay for them to uh, pluck the hair out of our eyebrows and so on and so forth. But it's painful, right? And notice what he said to you. I didn't turn back from that. I gave them my cheeks. I stuck it out. I willingly gave them my face. And when they spat on me, I didn't hide my face. My back that they beat, I'd let them have it. I said, here, here it is. When I would have run the other direction, or when they spit, I would have put my hand up. He did not. He sat there, and we would use the phrase, he took it like a man. And that's crazy. Because he didn't deserve it. He did nothing wrong. But he said, that's my job. I will do it. And the reason why I do this is because the Lord helps me, verse 7. He knew that he would be helped by the Lord, his teacher. That it would happen. So verse so verse 7. The Lord helps me. And therefore I'm not disgraced. Even though they're spitting on me, even though they're beating me, I'm not disgraced among men. I've set my face like flint so that I will not be ashamed. I'm going to go through this. And it's hard as a rock. You can't make me budge. I will not be moved. And so, one who will vindicate me, verse 8, the one who will clear me of all of these charges, he's near. And who will contend with me? Or he who vindicates me, he's near. And who will contend with me? You want to come and you want to bring a charge against me? Satan? Jews? Gentiles? Come on. Bring a charge. Because, guess what? It won't stand up in court. Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. That's like the first taunt you can get. Come on. Bring it to court. Because it ain't going to work. It will not stand, because verse 9, because the Lord God helps me. So who is he who condemns me? Here's what's going to happen to you. You will wear out like a garment, and the moth will eat. So, what's the lifespan of your of your clothes, for the most part? Many of us, we toss them out before the moth ever gets them, don't we? Michael's probably got clothes, well he does, stored up 
for a long, long time. Most of us, we don't do that. But clothes, after being used over and over again, they wear out. I remember back when I was a little kid, uh, and you had jeans for school. We had to wear jeans in my school. But in recess, you would go in the gym floor, and I don't know what it is, but there's something about a gym floor. You just feel like you have to slide on the gym floor. Or you're in the grass and you're playing some tackle football. You're going to get grass stains and you're going to get holes in your jeans. Again, people buy jeans now with holes in them. But just go onto a floor. But they wear out. You didn't have a pair of jeans that lasted for a long time. But if you ever found that brand that withstood and stood up to the wearing out, You always go back to it because it doesn't go away. Jesus says, all these people who are coming against me, they're wearing out. They're fading away. I will only get stronger. So he makes sure that he gives a warning. He talks to two different groups of people in verse 10 and verse 11. I want you to notice this warning. He says, who is among you? that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of His servant. question is, who of you is doing right and listening to me? Here's what is happening with them. They walk in darkness and they have no light. That doesn't make any sense, does it? How can you be walking with Jesus but have no light? Well, it's because the times apparently are dark. And they are in this this feeling of captivity, of burden, or whatever the case may be. And so you may not be able to see the light. The light is there and the light will be present. But for whatever reason, you have no light. Here's the idea. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. You may not understand it now, but you keep trusting and relying in God, and you will have light. But other people, in verse 11, Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands. So they got all this fire. They've lit a fire. And they got, I hate to use the word sparklers, but they got, they got lanterns. And they are giving themselves light. You walk in the light of your fire. And among the brands you set ablaze, you keep going with what you think is giving you light. Because you've given yourself light. And guess what happens to the person that they don't understand, but yet they're going to continue to walk in their way and in their light. This is what he says. Then you will have from my hand, you'll lie down and toward me. Remember we saw this morning what? The Lord said to Pharaoh, I'm going to stretch out my hand, my arm against you. Notice this picture right here. You will get my hand and you'll lie down in torment. It's like one blow is all it takes. The strength because you were doing it your own way. The servant warns, don't do it your way. Do it the Lord's way or you will struck down. And that's our servant song. That is what our servant is saying to do. I'm doing it for him. I'm relying on him. You 
rely on Him. Now we turn a little bit in chapter 51, and there's some question about exactly who is speaking in chapter 51, which kind of puts us in the boat of the Ethiopian eunuch, doesn't it? Remember the, the, the eunuch's question as he is riding along in the chariot and he is reading from that famous passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 53? And he says to Philip, who's, who's this man talking about? Himself or another? Surprise, surprise. Even having the, the full picture, sometimes we read through Isaiah and we are saying, who's speaking? Is he talking about himself or another? And I think probably what we have is maybe the Lord's servant speaking, but it's definitely a message that is coming from the Lord uh, in this. And so, in chapter 51, what we are going to see in chapter 51 and 52 is this great comfort that will come to Zion. And Zion being the city of the living God, the people in the New Testament who are His church. And the comfort that is coming to them Because we just saw that the servant, he was going to have all of these humiliating things done to him. All these painful things done to him. And the same thing will happen to his people. They too will have pain and sorrow. And he likens it unto captivity again. So we're going to get in chapter 51. And what you see in the first three verses is that God offers comfort. That's just all there is to it. I am the one who will comfort you. But remember back to Abraham. And I want you to think about this phrase. I can make something out of nothing. I want you to think about that as we read these first three verses. He says, listen to me. And we're going to see that often in 51 and 52. Listen to me. He says, listen to me. And notice who he says to You who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord, the people who look to the rock from which you were hewn, the people who are after God. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. You're like, do what? He says, look to Abram, your father, and to Sarah, who gave birth to you in pain. And when he was one, I called him. Then I blessed him and multiplied him. And indeed, The Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. Her wilderness He will make like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. And joy and gladness will be found in her, and thanksgiving and the sound of melody. What in the world did He just say? I can make something out of nothing. Look at your wilderness. Your barren lands. Your deserts they're going to become as fruitful, figuratively speaking, as the Garden of Eden. You can turn this sadness into joy. And it will be, notice this, the was later on, everlasting joy we will see will come on their heads. But what's this back to? Look to the rock from which you were hewn. We'll draw your attention to a statement made by John the Baptist. Remember Matthew chapter 3, when the Pharisees come out to John, and he says, man, who warned you to flee the wrath that's to come, you brood of vipers? They said, don't say to us that you have Abraham as your father. He said, because God can raise up children from Abraham out of these stones. Matthew 3 and verse 9. And that is exactly the picture in verse 1 
in which Israel was basically carved out of stone. Because what wasn't Abraham able to do? Have children. What wasn't Sarah able to do? Have children. It was stone cold and it was shut. And God said, I opened that. I made you out of that. I can make something out of nothing. There will be comfort for you. But verse 4, pay attention to me. We've got to listen. You've got to pay attention. So notice what he says here in verses 4 down through 6. Pay attention to me, O my people, and give ear to me, O nation, for a law will go forth from me, and I will set my justice for a light of the people. The things that are coming from me, the laws and the commands that are coming from me, they will be a light to all. And so verse 5, my righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the people. I'm taking care of those other people that are bothering you. But those people, there are some of them, the coastlands representing the Gentiles, they will wait for me. And for my arm, they will wait expectantly. They're waiting on the Lord to come and deliver them. Just like we saw back in chapter 49, that He would be a light to them. So verse 6, lift up your eyes to the sky. And it could be that the, what they are expecting is judgment, is a possibility as well. But notice verse 6, what he says to these righteous people. Lift up your eyes to the sky. Then look to the earth beneath. Look up, look down. Basically, see everything. The sky will vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment. And its inhabitants will die in like manner. But guess what remains? My salvation will be forever. My righteousness will not wane or will not diminish. It will not go away. You look around, and it may look like they've got it all under control, but I will wear them out. My salvation, I will come and I will save you, and it will be forever. Once and for all. So verse 7, listen to me. You who know righteousness, again, to the righteous people he's saying this, listen to me, you who know righteousness, and the people in whose heart is my law. You've got it in your heart. Don't fear the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them like a garment, and the grub will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. Don't you dare fear those guys. They can't do anything. I'm there forever and always. And isn't that what the servant just said? I will make my face as flint. The stone. Give them the face. They reproached him. They reviled him, and he was not afraid. He did not turn back. He was obedient even to the death of the cross. So verse 9, wake up. Awake. And here's one of those statements where I think this is the people shouting out maybe. Awake. Awake. Put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Lord, come deliver us. 
We know you can do it. Come deliver us. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. You've done it before. And was it not you, O Lord, who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, and who made the depths of the sea a pathway for the redeemed to cross over? That was you, right? And by the way, Rahab is poetically spoken, you can see this in chapter 30 of Isaiah, as Egypt. That's Egypt. They are called Rahab. And this dragon, or Leviathan, as the King James says, is in the Psalms, it is Pharaoh. It took down Egypt and the king. And didn't we see that this morning? And that's the picture that he paints here in verse 10. Wasn't it you and your arm that caused them to cross the dry sea, the Red Sea on dry land? You did it. You did it long ago. We know you can do it. And the redeemed crossed over. What's the redeemed? Those who have been bought back, who were enslaved, but have been bought and belonged to God, they walked over. So 11, the ransomed of the Lord will return. And they will come with joyful shouting to Zion, and everlasting joy will be on their heads, and they will obtain gladness and joy and sorrow, and sighing will flee away. When you come to save us, everyone will be happy, because the enemy will fall like Egypt. They're done. And it will be this everlasting joy. And then maybe the most comforting part of it all, verse 12. She says, I, even I, am He who comforts you. The Lord is the comforter. I will comfort you. And who are you that you are afraid of man who dies and the son of man who is made like grass? Why are you so scared of man? He's fading away like grass. But, verse 13, you've forgotten the Lord, your Maker. You who, who stretched out the heavens and He laid the foundations of the earth, that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor. You have lost sight of your Maker. He's out of your mind, and the only one you're worried about is the one who is oppressing you furiously. And doesn't that happen to us sometimes? We get so caught up in the things that are going on that are bad and the people that are oppressing us in such a way that we forget our Maker. And we become more afraid of man rather than God. He says, uh-uh. be afraid of me. But verse 14, no, I'm about to set you free. And you will not die in the dungeon nor will your bread be lacking. You're not going to be in there forever. I'm coming to get you out, and you will have plenty of food, because I am the Lord your God, 15, who stirs up the sea, and its waves roar, and the Lord of hosts is His name, and I have put my words in your mouth, and, have, and covered you with the shadow of my hand to establish the heavens, to found the earth, and to say to Zion, you are my people. I'm letting you out, and I'm taking you to Myself, I'm giving you protection. You are mine. And what comfort that should bring to the people. So again, verse 17, Wake up! Awake, Jerusalem! You who drunk the Lord's anger, the hand of the cup of the Lord's anger. And I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter, but what he says at the end of the chapter, verse 23, 
I will put it into the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, lie down that we may walk over you. Your enemies have been stepping all over you. And you could do nothing about it. But I'm removing that from you. And they're now going to drink. The people that have tormented you, I will now torment them. It's now on them. So chapter 52, the chapter in which we have our famous statement. Surprise, surprise. Awake, awake. When someone tells you to wake up, what's that mean? Get you thinking. It's time to get out of your stupor, right? Get clear in your thinking. Wake up. And notice what he tells him to do now. Clothe yourself in your strength. You're now strong, Zion. Clothe yourself. Put on your armor and clothe yourself in beautiful garments. Get ready. Because you're the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean will no longer come into you. There's a changing of the guard. And it is now time to clean up. Get dressed. Get ready because you're now free. You're not a slave anymore. What did Joseph do when he got out of prison? Remember what the text told us he did? He shaved and he cleaned up. That's what a prisoner does. He gets out and he cleans himself up because he's been dirty. He's been in that dungeon that is dark and grimy and damp. And it is disgusting. And you don't want that filth on you anymore. You want to remove anything that could resemble that filth you just spent time in. What do you think he's metaphorically speaking of? The sin which we are so easily entrapped by. Shake yourself, verse 2, from the dust. Rise up. You were beaten down, but rise up, O captive Jerusalem. You're free. Loose yourself from the chains around your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Go! And if you were enslaved and someone said to you, go, how fast are you getting out? You're going. And you're going to free yourself. And you're going to run. And so he goes on to say, verse 6, that here I am. I'm the one that has redeemed you. Verse 5 and verse 6. It's me. I bought you. I loosed you. So verse 7, notice that there is good news. And again, a passage that is quoted in the New Testament. How lovely on the mountain are the feet of Him who brings good news. It's like a guy is coming, a messenger is coming, and he's got good news to tell you. And you see him coming from a distance, you're like, man, he can't get here fast enough. And it's not, he's got pretty feet that have been pedicured or anything like that. It's, he's coming. And you are excited to see him. How beautiful are those feet? Because he's got good news. And notice what he does. He brings good news of happiness. And he announces salvation... And he says to Zion, your God reigns. What's the good news? God reigns. You were just a slave. And now someone comes up to you and says, you're free to go. And you don't have to worry about those other people anymore. 
get me out of here. And so notice what is happening with those. Listen, he says. Open up your ears. Listen. Your watchmen lift up voices. The people who are looking into the distance that are watching out for you, they see the victory. And so they are shouting. And they shout joyfully together. And they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. They see it from a distance. And they are so excited even from a distance that they can't help but shout joyfully. But it's coming. So break forth. Shout joyfully together, verse 9. You waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. I tell you, God is in control. Everything is good. No matter what you thought. So, because verse 10, the Lord has bared His holy arm. That's a weird way of saying it. We would say, God showed off His guns. He took His arm and He showed His strength to the people. He put His arm out there in clear sight to know that His enemies cannot stand. And everyone sees that in the sight of all the nations, that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. It cannot be escaped anywhere on this earth in which He found it. It cannot. And then here's the conclusion to the passage. Depart. Depart. Go out from there. Touch nothing unclean. Go out of the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. There's our verse. Come out from among them and be separate. It's come out from prison and be free. But being free means be clean. It is time to get cleaned up. Because what's your responsibility? To carry the vessels of the Lord. You're priests now. You are serving the God who created everything. The God who freed you. You must be a holy people. But when you go from, from, from prison, you will not go out in haste. Didn't we see that this morning? The Israelites... They left Egypt in haste, and Pharaoh pursued after them. He says that's not the case here. You will not go out in haste, nor will you go out as fugitives, for the Lord will go before you. He's leading the way, and ain't nobody stopping him in his path. And the God of Israel will be your rear guard. You've got protection in front of you. And you've got protection behind you. So when you come out from among them, I will protect you. And that's what Paul tells the Corinthians. Come out from among them and be separate. God will protect you. God expects nothing less than for us to clean ourselves up and accept the comfort to which He gives us.
subject to the invitation in any way this evening, we'd ask that you come now as we stand and as we sing.